listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Jasmine, and this week I'm here with my co-hosts Alyssa and Reese. We are recording this on Saturday, November the 4th, which is my late grandmother Beverly's uh, birthday, so happy heavenly birthday to her. Um, And you are listening to this for the first time on Sunday, November the 5th, and we'll rebroadcast it on Monday, November the 6th at 11 a.m. Uh, so how are y'all two doing, Alyssa and Reese? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm just hanging in here. Um, had a ridiculously long walk today and realized how old I am. My body is like, that's cute. But whatever, grateful to be able to walk, right? Yeah, and if you out in California, I feel like the walks hit a little different than in New York. <laughs> like, was there a sidewalk? <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I did the, um, I walked from Venice to Santa Monica and back. So it totaled out like six, six miles, but it was on the, um, it was the on the, yeah, or the, the there's oh. a trail. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a long walk. Around Shit, I didn't walk enough for the whole weekend, girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you got your steps in, which is good. I also did some, it was a nice day today. I feel it was a nice fall day. So I got to, you know, I walked around Manhattan with a friend of mine. So that was cool. All right. So for this week's episode for the local news, we'll be talking about an FBI raid that is complicating Mayor Adams reelection bid. For national news, uh, we'll be sharing some details about the new speaker of the house, Mike Johnson. And for our world news story, we'll be discussing um, recent victims of domestic violence uh, being killed in Australia. Uh, So first up, we have Alyssa with our local news story. Okay, so um, I'm taking some of this from two different articles from Gothamist. Uh, So the first article is called um 2025 starts today and fbi inquiry into mayor adams's campaign complicates re-election bid by elizabeth kim and then fbi agents the other article is fbi agents raid home of nyc mayor adams key fundraiser and that's by Brittany kriegstein bahar ostadan and elizabeth kim Uh, So on Thursday morning, um, November 2nd, FBI agents raided the Brooklyn home of Brianna Shugs, who is a key fundraiser for New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, And she started out as an intern while working for Adams in 2017 um, when he was Brooklyn uh, borough president. And um, essentially, this raid is kind of related to his 2021 mayoral mayoral campaign um, and it has been under scrutiny for a while um, from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office um, due to some allegations that six donors tried to buy political influence with concealed donations. Um, So 
uh, part of uh, so Shugs, who is a fundraiser, she also has a her own company called Shugs Solutions LLC, and they've received or that company has received one hundred and forty nine thousand seven hundred and ninety eight dollars in wages, consultant payments, and advance repayments from the twenty twenty one campaign. Um, so. Initially, uh, there wasn't really much about the raid, like shortly after it happened. But since then, uh, apparently the part of the FBI investigation um, is that they're looking into whether the 2021 election campaign conspired with the Turkish government to receive illegal foreign donations. So the search warrant that um, they had, it sought financial records, for Ms. Shugs, it documents related to contributions to the campaign, records of travel to Turkey by any employee, officer, or associate of the campaign, and then documents related to interactions between the campaign and the government of Turkey. Uh, and it suggested that some of the foreign campaign contributions were made as part of a straw donor scheme where donations are made in the names of people who did not actually give money. Uh, So the mayor's response to this initially was to say that, you know, his campaign was run with like the highest ethical standards. And then uh, further on, he maybe like later that day or the next day, he made a statement saying, I am outraged and angry if anyone attempted to use the campaign to manipulate our democracy and defraud our campaign. I want it to be clear. I have no knowledge direct or otherwise, of any improper fundraising activity and certainly not of any foreign money. We will, of course, work with officials to respond to inquiries as appropriate. Uh, So after the raid on Thursday, um, Evan Rothsmith, who's a political consultant, posted on social media, 2025 starts today. And he was referring to the next... um, mayoral election in New York. Uh, people might say we don't like his po- his policy on this or that, or that he broke a campaign promise, but what mayor hasn't faced that? They're all grievances that are part of the due course of politics in New York. Now he's facing something much bigger than that. So um, essentially, kind of both articles are saying that the FBI raid, along with some other Um, incidents or kind of public investigations that have been happening um, are actually giving um, confidence to people who are critics of Mayor Adams and saying that he's now politically vulnerable because of these things. And just some of the other um, investigations that have been impacting like people in his inner circle. So uh, Dwayne Montgomery, who's a former NYPD inspector um, and has known Adams for decades is facing charges from the Manhattan District Attorney um, Alvin Bragg that he organized a straw donor scheme that exploited the city's generous matching funds program. And then Eric Ulrich, who's the former buildings commissioner, has been indicted by Bragg for taking bribes to dole out favors for friends, associates, and business interests. And then most recently, Tim Pearson, who's another former NYPD official and longtime friend of Adams, 
has come under city investigation for allegedly assaulting a security guard at a migrant shelter. Um, Good and Lord. <laughs> apparently so far, um, the mayor has uh, ra- already raised more than $2.5 million for his 2025 re-election campaign. So yeah, I, I just brought this up because it recently happened. Um, so what do you both think about it? Like, have you heard any anything else about the raid or or any other? I didn't really know about all the other issues that were kind of going on with people in his inner circle. Um, but I do know his inner circle is heavily NYPD. So um, what do you both think? <laughs> I feel like he needs to get up out of here by whatever means necessary. So I hope that this is it. This man is, I think he's terrible. I do not like him. The way he talks about I'm mayor because God wants me to be mayor and all this other mess. Like we don't need that. And I think he's had like issues with corruption from the beginning. Like I'm also seeing on Gothamist as well speaking of turkey like there's this construction company that's also connected to this investigation that they believe has ties to turkey and like you know they have they have the company has links to the turkish government and there's questions about like if they were also involved in this scheme like as a way to get like contracts or like money and stuff to do building or projects or get special favors from the local government i just i don't know man it's just kind of like looney tunes over there because it seems like every week it's a different headline about this guy and nothing really seems to come of it but i hope this is the final thing where it's like we need someone who's not just out partying playing songs as theme songs at his press conferences playing rihanna and stuff to get people hype like we need people that are serious about improving the city and like have plans that work yeah i agree i'm not surprised at all about this i mean i feel like what you new york city mayor has not had a controversial um candidacy as well as his whole term but adam's got a different sort of stank on his his term i feel like you know one he's in new york in a time when the world is in such a huge crisis and he's not very good at averting crisis uh he doesn't seem like he's focused on making the city uh, better since he's been in office it seems like the city has definitely had an increase of crime and um i don't like the way he's definitely not handling the migrant situation so um, I hope this leads to something being done. Unfortunately, you know, um, he's a powerful man. You know, he's been in leadership in New York City for a really long time. And I'm sure he's coded many pockets to get where he is right now. So I'm not surprised by this. And, you know, we'll see what happens after this um, from this point. But definitely it's on brand for him, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't really surprised by it just because I feel like, yeah, there has been, he is kind of like, like not being unserious, basically just kind of walking around. Like people have said that he's acting like he's a party promoter, like he's at everything and he's not actually or doesn't seem to know how to do his job. Um, 
yeah like one of the so yeah it was, there's also like that construction company involved and there's also apparently like a small university in Washington DC that also is tied to Turkey that could also be involved in this as well so like basically oh my god whether or not yeah <laughs> apparently there's a university i think it's called bay atlantic university or something i've never heard of it in washington dc but it apparently is either owned by turkey or is just connected to it in some way but they're also they also could be possibly involved in this whole thing I don't know. Yeah, I'm just seeing some saying that his his spokesperson, a campaign spokesperson, is saying that the Adams team returned money from Bay Atlantic University oh, okay. because it had more than wait. Before FBI probe, Eric Adams' campaign accepted and returned ten thousand dollars in donations linked to Turkish University. Yeah. Good grief! Like this. So there's yeah there's. Yeah, tiny Turkish-owned institution that opened Washington, D.C. in 2014. Yeah. And the following... Oh, sorry, I'm reading from another thing. So apparently he had visited, like, other universities, like, in Istanbul, where he was given various certificates and was told that a scholarship would be created in his name. So, yeah, there's... Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and like the thing I'm looking at that's in the city.nyc about this is talking about um they there were five donations from that university that from you know, the university workers from a fundraiser held in September 2021 um and it is illegal to accept donations like from foreign people. Let me see. Under federal law, it is illegal for any federal or local campaign to accept money from foreign nationals. But they're saying like that they took the money, but not all of it was returned. Like it just seems like shady and weird. Yeah. And oh man, wh- why why is it taking so long to get this man out of here? I feel like he's had plenty <laughs> scandals and we've had enough, like Reese was saying, there's been multiple like disasters under his watch, like with the wildfire smoke, yeah. with the flooding. handled it well, yeah. He'll be like on a plane somewhere. It's like, there was one thing, wasn't he drunk or like he was hung over allegedly or something the following day after a disaster and people were like, huh, where were you? Or like, why are you only just now saying something? It's like people already done been out, risked their lives going to work and school, and now that it's passed, you are now on a podium with Rihanna bumping in the background. <laughs> like, oh, I just I can't stand this milk good. You know, everybody loves Riri, so I guess that was <laughs> oh man, but it's awful. He is not focused on the right things. <laughs> he's not i don't know how he got in here we did we could have had somebody else in new york we, new york city you gotta do better we gotta you know we got an election going on right now like make sure you vote for these local offices because it does make a difference who's in these local seats whether it's the mayor city council all of that like read up and vote 
because we need to get the, all these clowns up out of the circus. Mm-hmm. All right, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is from the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, Sitting Up in My Room by Brandy. We'll be right back. provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next for our national news story, like I'll be um, reading some information that comes from NBC News. Uh, But before we get there, this is just some background information, very basic from PBS. Uh, This was uh, written on January the 4th of this year. And the title is, Here's What the Speaker of the House Actually Does. So I just lifted a few very quick bullet points from that article. Uh, So the Speaker of the House is second in the line of presidential succession after the vice president. The speaker is selected by the full House membership 
and the majority party's voting power ensures that the role is occupied by one of their own. So it's not impossible that someone who's not in the majority party could become the speaker, but it's extremely unlikely because they tend to all, you know, the whoever's in the majority will support someone from their party. The speaker fills three primary roles. First, they are the most visible and authoritative spokesperson for the majority party in the House. Speakers articulate an agenda and explain legislative action to other Washington officials as well as the public. They oversee House committee assignments and collaborate with the powerful House Rules Committee to structure floor debate. Second, the speaker manages business on the floor and navigates legislative rules, structuring House debate in a way that will advantage their legislative priorities. Third, the speaker oversees everything from accounting to procurement for the House. Um, and so now I'm going to move on to who is Mike Johnson? Five things to know about the new Republican House speaker. And this was um, written on NBC News. The authors are Sahil Kapoor, Ali Vitali, Rebecca Kaplan, and Kyle Stewart. Uh, and it's about, it's five different things, but I'm going to read uh, only three of the five. And some this has been cut down for time as well. Republicans elected a new Speaker of the House on Wednesday, October 25th, in Republican Mike Johnson, ending 22 days of a paralyzed chamber after a group of rebels overthrew Republican um, Representative Kevin McCarthy. Johnson, a Republican from Louisiana, was nominated Tuesday in late October after three previous nominees flamed out. He unified the fractious Republican conference, winning votes from right-wing detractors of McCarthy, a Republican from California, as well as centrist Republicans who opposed Representative Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio. The little-known congressman was first elected in 2016, representing a solidly Republican part of North and Western Louisiana. He has ascended through the ranks, chairing the Conservative Republican Study Committee and holding the position of House Republican Conference Vice Chair. He sits on the Judiciary Committee and chairs a subcommittee on the Constitution, the Armed Services Committee, and the newly created Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government. Here are five things to know about Johnson. And again, like I'm only going to talk about, mention three of the five. His role in promoting 2020 election denial. Johnson is a constitutional lawyer who has used his talents to craft some creative and controversial theories. The most notable is his role in devising an argument aimed at keeping Donald Trump in power, even though he lost the 2020 election. A New York Times article last year called Johnson the most important architect of the Electoral College objections on January 6, 2021. His argument to colleagues was that certain states' changes to their voting procedures during the COVID-19 pandemic were unconstitutional, an argument that became more palatable to lawmakers than the fabricated claims of mass fraud. In all, 147 Republicans voted to block the certification of Joe Biden electors. In mid-November 2020, 
Johnson gave a radio interview and echoed a discredited conspiracy theory involving Hugo Chavez and Dominion voting systems. On Tuesday night after he was nominated, Johnson declined to respond to a question about his role in the election objections. In the Trump presidency, Johnson argued that then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi's move to rip up a copy of his State of the Union speech was a crime. A lot of people have been talking about this the last 48 hours, and I did a little legal memo to point out to my colleagues that she actually committed a felony, Johnson said on Fox News at the time. His opposition to abortion and LGBTQ rights. Johnson has a spotless history of voting against legal abortion, earning an A-plus rating from Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Abortion rights proponents have noted his work from 2010 as a senior legal counsel for the Alliance Defense Fund, citing a letter in which he fought to shut down an abortion clinic in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He voted against bipartisan legislation to codify same-sex marriage, which Biden signed into law last year. Johnson authored legislation called the Stop the Sexualization of Children Act of 2022, which prohibits the use of federal funds to develop, implement, facilitate, or fund any sexually oriented program, event, or literature for children under the age of 10, his office said. Critics have dubbed it a federal don't say gay measure and argued that it's aimed at barring references to LGBTQ people. In a statement promoting the bill, Johnson accused Democrats of waging a misguided crusade to immerse young children in sexual imagery and radical gender ideology. A spokesperson for the Human Rights Campaign, an LGBTQ rights group, labeled Johnson Jim Jordan with a jacket and a smile, referring to the right-wing firebrand from Ohio who chairs the House Judiciary Committee. Johnson has also co-sponsored legislation by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican from Georgia, called the Protect Children's Innocence Act, which would make it a crime to provide gender-affirming care to people under 18 years of age. Uh, He's also a relatively inexperienced speaker. With less than seven years under his belt, Johnson has a shorter length of service in the House than past speakers in modern history. McCarthy was in the House for 16 years before he was elected Speaker. Pelosi had 20 years of experience. Paul Ryan served for 16 years, and John Boehner had 20 years before he ascended to the top job. Before the vote Wednesday, numerous members of Congress said they knew little about Johnson, with some Republican senators saying they had never even met him. Senator Mitt Romney, a Utah Republican, said that he knew very little about him, but that it would be interesting to see how the House runs if they choose a speaker that has no experience in leadership or as a committee chair. Inexperience seems to be a qualification. Johnson becomes the first speaker from Louisiana, and the top two House Republicans are now from the state, Johnson and Majority Leader Steve Scalise. So, um, yeah, it's a major development that we finally do have a Speaker of the House. And um, from what I've been reading about him, I think it's it's very concerning. And I think it's, you know, we should be disturbed that this is the person who's second in line 
um, to be president should something happen to Biden and Kamala. But also he has a lot of power in this position, you know, even if he doesn't go further up. Well, they're putting people in position as usual, um, which they've had a lot of segue in the last few years, positioning people for these votes that are taking us back to some times before we were even born, us on this show, of policies and the way that they want to run this country. So I'm not surprised that this is the person that they selected. Um, You know, it will be more of the same. It'll be interesting to see if he does anything different than what we were expecting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that they went with, or at least that that he's like someone who's inexperienced. Yeah, I'm re- I'm reading up on I I mean I didn't really know that much about him, but I'm reading up on some of his. I don't know. I guess his stances, and he's like opposing. He's in opposition to everything. Basically, <laughs> that is. Um, related to like civil rights and human rights <laughs> it's really terrible crazy like, yeah it's political scary. has a 55 things to know about him and it's all awful and i think the fact that he is um like he has i've seen him make multiple references to like we're a nation under god and all of this other stuff like He's, they refer to him in some circles as like, oh, religious freedom advocate and all this other shit. And it's like, it's not about freedom. It's about, you know, he's a dominionist or one of those people that wants to make, they think that the government should reflect like these very specific um, conservative Christian, you know, white beliefs. And I think it's it's terrible that someone like that is so high up at this point or that they're allowed to be in the government at all if that's what they're pushing because we should have a separation of church and state. Um, but we have so many people that are like hell-bent on destroying that. Yeah, and I, I'm seeing where like in terms of like separation of church and state like he was he's like saying that it was in order to protect the church from the state and not the other way around what like let me see where the quote is from yeah i think it's from like an interview or something with him on abc news like there's a quote The founders wanted to protect the church from an encroaching state, not the other way around. And he, apparently he cited like a Christian nationalist, David Barton, as influential in his faith and thinking. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, that is kind of, it's, yeah, it's kind of scary that like someone has that high of a position and is so, like, like you said like the his religion or like the very conservative christianity is like guiding his beliefs just pay attention they're literally putting people in position for all the things that they have been rearranging and he's no different he's probably closer because he's younger you know he may represent a more contemporary view of the same old shit 
And have you heard anything? Have y'all seen the headlines about he allegedly has like an adopted son that he a, a black son that he adopted when the boy was a teenager and he was a single man? And people are, have questions about that and why the boy is not like is not included in like family pictures or whatever. Like you don't hear very much about the boy or who must be an adult now. Yeah, I'm seeing. I'm seeing that, but I don't know if it, cause like some, some is saying that it's like both of that, or he and his wife adopted him. So I don't know. Okay, they're saying they took him in as newlyweds when Michael was fourteen years old. Um. Yeah. So allegedly, and this is from Essence, is saying Michael, the child, was an adult with a family of his own. And he asked not to be involved in their new public life. And um, also Johnson claims he has tried to keep him away from the public sphere, except when the Republican talks yeah, about what... race, like he's like a prop almost to talk about race. And that's when he mentions his black adopted son. But can you imagine what that must have been like to be raised by people like this as a black child in Louisiana? Yeah, that's that sounds like the next tell-all book that's gonna be a New York Times bestseller. Like the Blind Side, but from worse to worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Poor thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to even say at this point, other than you know, it is important for people to pay attention to this stuff and what you know these local politicians do and. It seems like there's so many. Have y'all heard of that initiative called Run for Something? No, I haven't. It's basically, I think the point of it is to encourage um, young people, young progressives, especially to just run for any office, like even if it's something small or something super local. And I think the idea is just there's so many things that are just kind of left wide open because no one goes into that role and it makes it very easy for people to step in and like have a really extreme agenda. And before you know it, like they've taken over a school district or they've taken over X, Y, and Z, and then it just grows from there. And, you know, like we see with this guy, like, compared to other people who have had this role, like he has a lot less experience, but you know, they get trained up from like young and groomed to be in these types of positions, like Reese was saying. And then, you know, before you know it, they've like ascended or whatever and have so much more power than you would think. But yeah, I think one of the last, one of the recent shows that we did, we talked about like the first publicly public religious school like in Oklahoma that the AG there is trying to overturn but it's it's very I get scared like when I think about like how successful a lot of these people with these extreme like theocratic agendas seem to be right now and I don't see you know Democrats putting up enough of a fight or taking it seriously, or maybe they're just out of touch with what's at stake. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I feel like a lot of it, too, is people just not, 
like those things happen like in increment or it's like a small thing that happens and it's very like or you don't you just don't notice it or you're not paying attention to it but then eventually yeah it becomes like a bigger thing where I feel like maybe our maybe people are thinking or I don't know maybe people are thinking like it's all going to come like crashing down all at the same time or like some big event is going to cause it when it's it's usually like small things happening over time and those like i get, like those people kind of going into power like in a oh where did this person come from but then all of a sudden they're like they have a lot of power yeah i think that's true and i, I feel like in that in the nbc article one of the quotes was about like oh this guy is like the same as jim jordan but like in a nice jacket or something and i think that also hints at something important as well i think a lot of people are so caught up on like civility and decorum that they have like an outsized negative reaction to someone who you know, like the people who like get outraged at anything Trump does because he's vulgar and he's loud and he's inarticulate and all of that. But then you can have someone that is doing the same things or there might they might be doing worse. But because they're pre they present themselves where like they walk the walk, talk the talk and like seem put together or professional. It's like people don't pay attention to like how sinister their agenda is. And I think that's also a big issue. Um, in our politics like just because someone is like oh he's kindly old man and like mild mannered and soft-spoken it's like yeah and like they have some of the most violent terrible policies that are gonna like send us all to the bad place you know but it doesn't raise alarms the same way that people are like oh he's crass he's loud he's obnoxious he's cursing you know then they get activated all right, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, this is Florence and the Machine with My Boy Builds Coffins. We'll be right back. Facebook page can be found at 
facebook.com forward slash objection radio free bk no spaces no punctuation our instagram account is at objection to the rule again no spaces no punctuation marks welcome back to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and up next we have reese with our world news story So this story comes from CNN.com. The title is Five Deaths in 10 Days Point to a Problem Australia Wants to Solve. And the author is Hillary Whiteman. The murder of five women within 10 days in Australia, allegedly by men they knew, has left Manuela Whitford feeling numb. We've become so conditioned. You hear it all the time. I've just become so numb, she said. But on the other scale, I go, oh my God, I'm doing a good thing for people that I can help. Whitford is the founder of Friends with Dignity, a Brisbane-based charity that gives families fleeing domestic violence everything they need to feel at home in emergency accommodation. They're mostly mothers with children who leave with few possessions but carry the weight of fear and worry about where they're going to and how they're going to cope. They're so isolated. This is years of conditioning people that you're not good enough, you're not worth it, You've got no value, Whitford said at the charity's warehouse south of Brisbane. Tucked in the back of an industrial park, the warehouse shelves are piled high with household goods, boxes, and toys, and mattresses washed, stacked, and ready for delivery to apartments secured by welfare agencies. It's hoped the donations will save lives, but it's the women who were unable to escape allegedly violent men that made headlines in Australia in recent weeks. The five women killed in 10 days include a 20-year-old water polo coach who had reportedly recently split up with her suspected killer and a 65-year-old woman whose elderly husband has been accused of murder. There's now numbers on a national count that's at 43 so far this year, according to Counting Dead Women, a research project started by feminist group Destroy the Joint, which takes its name from the insult hurled in 2012 by an Australian shock jock who accused women leaders of destroying the joint. Five dead women. The most recent alleged murder was discovered on Monday when security staff at Crown Towers Hotel in Perth, Western Australia, received a phone call from worried family members of Alice McShara, a 34-year-old lawyer. They checked a room and found McShara's body, WA Police Inspector Jeff DeSanchez, told reporters on Tuesday, a 42-year-old man found in the same room with suspected self-inflicted injuries was later charged with murder. Last Sunday, 46-year-old Annalyn Osias, known as Loji, suffered fatal injuries in a house in Kangaroo Flats, according to Victoria Police. A 44-year-old man has been charged with murder. So I'm just going to skip down the article a little bit. It talks a little bit more about the rest of these women. Um, the next part says the number of women killed by violence in Australia has ranged between 43 and 84 each year since County dead women began tallying deaths in 2012. Whitford started friends with dignity in her garage in the same year. Since then, she says she's noticed a change in the way people, including the police respond to domestic violence. It's believing is listening to the victim. She said, according to Australia's Institute of human Of health and welfare, the proportion of Australian women reporting domestic violence by a partner in the previous 12 months fell between 2016 and 2021 to 22, 
from 1.7% to 9%. However, the most recent National Community Attitudes Towards Violence Against Women survey in 2021 showed 23% believe domestic violence is a normal reaction to day-to-day stress. And 91% believe violence against women was a problem in Australia. A national plan. Repeated cries for help have been made to the government, which last year launched its national plan to end domestic to end violence against women and children in 22 between 2022 and 2032. The first action plan 2023 to 2027 was released in August and the top of a 10-point list is advancing gender equality. Australia may be a modern wealthy nation, but sexist attitudes persist in a culture where women do more unpaid domestic work and earn less over their lifetime than men, according to the United Nations. Boardrooms and many positions of power are still dominated by men, as in Parliament. The country has only ever had one female prime minister, Julia Gillard, who famously delivered a serious speech on misogyny that since racked up millions of views on social media. In 2022, a 2022 survey by Global Institute for Women's Leadership, which Gillard now chairs, found Australian men consider misogynistic comics more acceptable online than the global average. The first action plan includes $3.5 million Australian dollars in funding for a three-year trial of a healthy masculinities project to find what works to counter harmful messaging targeted, targeting men and boys on social media. His name is not mentioned in the government press release, but excerpts cite the example of Andrew Tate, the self-described misogynistic internet influencer soon to face a trial in Romania on charges of human trafficking and rape. For more than 20 years, Andrew Lyons has been working to counter Tate's style of dangerous misogynistic messaging through The Right Journey, a program that works with with schools in Australia, New Zealand, and further a field to teach students how to find positive role models. And I'll stop there um, in the interest of time, but I feel like Australia is one of those places that we don't talk about a lot um, for many reasons. One, some of the things that they're in the news for, I think maybe a little different for us to relate to, but two, this violence against women becoming, you know, normalized um, within the country is a cause for, you know, for discussion, because it seems like it's becoming so common that, um, you know, it's almost like a part of their life or a part of life in that country. Yeah, I I think I think there was a um, you mentioned it like a statistic about people saying that like one of the reasons I guess is like just stress, like everyday stress being the cause of, or the, maybe like it kind of contributing to the increase in the violence, which I think is like, I mean, I feel like that's like a universal thing, not necessarily just for them, but I know like that could be, that is like one, probably one of the reasons that in general, like people become violent or are violent, like in relationships because of their own stress and yeah yeah 23 percent of people from that survey that they did which is sad you know that something like that can be considered just normal behavior for a stressful life 
Yeah, and like what I'm seeing is that amongst G20 nations so far, uh, Australia ranks eighth for domestic violence figures, and the G20 include. It's a little bit odd that like the African Union and the European Union are members of the G20 because they're not. Those are like multiple countries are involved in both of those unions, but. Um, of the member or group countries for Australia to be number eight. It's not at the top, but that's still, they're in the top 10, like of those 20 groups. And, you know, we talk about it a lot on the show because it's really, sadly, it's like, that's something that across religions, across race, across language, you know, economic situations like violence against women is sadly something so many cultures like agree on as like, that's just how it is. Or like this just happens and you can be rich country, poor country, like you still will see, you know, people dealing with this intimate partner violence. And you mentioned there was a woman, an Australian woman who was 20 that was recently allegedly killed. And then there was someone who was elderly and her husband seems like he killed her. It's like, it can happen to you at any stage of your life. It's really, it's a scary thing like that we as women have to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. I think their approach with this, um, you know, action plan um, is interesting. Um the action plan that's putting $3.5 million towards healthy masculinities project to find what works to counter harmful messaging, targeting men and boys on social media. That's an interesting approach to this problem. Um, it's almost like they're trying to find the root cause of toxic masculinity and counter that with more positive messaging. I'm not sure if that, how effective that can be, but I've never really, heard of any other place kind of doing that level of study um because ultimately once you figure it out i mean what can you really do to curb that um it's also part of the culture if people grow up feeling like this is regular um i feel like you'll see more victims of this within that culture you know it's, it's a hard thing to fight but i think that's an interesting tactic that they're looking to take to research I think it's good that, you know, I think that there there are resources, not enough, but I think that there can be a lot of focus on um, helping women. And I think you mentioned there was a person who was running that organization, Friends with Dignity, where it's about helping uh, women who are escape or trying to escape from those situations, because that's so difficult. And that's also the most dangerous period is when you decide to leave or like when you do leave, like that's when a lot of the, these abusers escalate and, you know, might want to try to take you out or you and the children or something like that. So it's great to have people focusing on that immediate need, but it definitely needs to just not be about women and girls and what to look out for or what to do once it's already happened. Like you do have to get at the root and, be serious that these attitudes are not okay and nip it in the bud when they're young because by the time they get to be full-grown men if they've been consuming this trash like on the internet or in social situations and it's not being challenged there's no consequence to it 
there it's very difficult to then turn that around once that once they get to be in their late teens early 20s and so on like a lot of that stuff in my opinion is sadly like ingrained in them so i hope something comes of that initiative it's definitely worthwhile to try to combat this this misogynist content is really frightening just what the algorithm is feeding young boys yeah i mean i agree like i think that trying to kind of change or like at a young age like change like what they're being what's what's being consumed and how they're being socialized Um, but I feel like even just for all kids to be honest because they're I mean even like girls are sometimes also socialized to kind of expect that violence and kind of expect that this is like normal or it's what's supposed to happen so I mean as as much intervention that can happen like at an early age in terms of like what's the media that's being consumed or like what is being shared on media or how things are being talked about and shared I think is really helpful yeah well shout out to that organization and all other organizations that Um, help families get out of domestic violence situations but it's definitely something that I don't think is talked about enough in other countries Um, specifically here we don't talk about it a lot in the U.S. as if it's a thing of the past but it's definitely happening every day so uh, prayers out for anybody who's going through that or been through that it's a very difficult thing to live through and um, yeah we just need to leverage the voices of these, these young and older people I mean can you imagine being 65 and your husband of how many years murders you? That means that they've been dealing with that for so long, you know, that it, it resulted in that. And it just goes to show that over generations, that sort of concept is not talked about enough. It's not taken very seriously and people end up in situations that they can't get out of. So I do have a, a short good news story if you want me to add it. Okay. Yeah. We can end on a positive note. Lord knows we need it. So Exactly. So this is a story about a little boy's family from Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, The title is Medical Breakthrough Cures Five-Year-Old Boy of Sickle Cell Anemia. And um, it's from sunnyskies.com from October 23rd. In a groundbreaking medical achievement, a young boy from New Jersey has triumphed over sickle cell anemia thanks to an extraordinary medical breakthrough. Toby Akusiende, a resilient five-year-old hailing from Haworth, owes his newfound health to his younger brother, Quasi, whom he lovingly acknowledges as his savior. Their father, Folu Okunsiende, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing their last name, expressed profound gratitude saying he definitely changed his life. He definitely saved his life. Toby's battle with sickle cell anemia began when he was not even a year old. At that time, the condition was widely perceived as incurable. However, the Okasiende family discovered a ray of hope in the form of a curative therapy therapy involving a bone marrow transplant, with the ideal donor being none other than his younger brother, Quasi. In a remarkable turn of events, just a year after receiving a life-changing bone marrow transplant from his brother, Toby was officially declared free from the grip of sickle cell anemia. So, yes, this little boy, five years old now, um, was cured by his younger brother through a bone marrow transplant, and he no longer has the disease. So, 
that's a cute little story. Um, way to keep it in the family. <laughs> that's incredible. Like that's especially because you know the three of us talking on the show this week, like we're all black, and like that's such a it's an issue that disproportionately affects black people. And you know, I think even giving blood and like when people need transfusions and stuff to help them like that's part of why it's so important to make sure that black people donate blood and plasma and stuff is to make it easier like for your blood to be matched with someone who is suffering from sickle cell and it's such a painful condition as well like it can be so debilitating so that is great news that there's a way for it to be cured like that's incredible yeah, I was so happy that these siblings have that story to live by, too. You know, the younger brother saved the older brother's life. Like, so sweet. Um, and they can grow up together, you know, um, in somewhat of a more normal life. So shout out to them, Toby and Quasi. Yeah. I mean, you know that the, the brother is never going to let him free. It's like, you know, <laughs> I saved your life. I saved your exactly. life. So you better let me come up with <laughs> But yeah, yeah exactly. that's, that's beautiful. That's a really good story. Yeah. 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 I was like, we don't often hear about, you know, sickle cell on a larger stage. And so many people live with it and suffer it through their whole lives, you know. So, um, yeah, I hope that this curative therapy is something that's shared with more people and it can help turn things around for a lot more people. Uh, so, you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio. And for our last musical break, um, speaking of sickle cell, like Tion Watkins, also known as T-Boz, uh, one of the lead singers in the girl group TLC, she has sickle cell anemia. and She's been living with it, um, dealing with it most of her life. Uh, so we are going to close out with TLC, Baby, Baby, Baby. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.